I want to let you know that the Bible app has all of the scripture, and I'm going to be breezing through some of it so I don't go too long here today. If you get the YouVersion Bible app and you go to more and you tap on events, you'll see the notes and scripture for today. Also the worship songs. And I tell you what, thank you worship team for uh, leading this weekend. All of those songs just hit right at the heart of what we're talking about today. Um, what we're talking about today is the lie from Satan... And the lie goes like this, your performance is your identity. As we continue this series of liar, liar, pants on fire, Satan is saying, your performance is your identity. Who you are is what you do. I bought into that lie, hook, line, and sinker. We're going to break it into three different parts here today. And it really does have to do with my story, like Pastor John said. And many of you have been a part of our story, and I look out, and I'm just so grateful for this congregation and the way that you've breathed into me and been a part of that and loved on me and Christina um, in, the, in the course of our story. And we love this congregation so much. A um, little bit about my background. I was born in Lincoln, and... Uh, had a great family. My parents are both believers, love the Lord. Um, my dad um, taught at Lincoln Christian and also uh, led to worship at, at Indian Hills quite a bit. And so I had a lot of musical opportunities. Um, my whole world was surrounded by Christians and theology and teaching and all of that all of the time. Um, my dad uh, since he taught at Lincoln Christian, I went to Lincoln Christian, kindergarten through 12th grade, had opportunities to lead worship there, be in select choirs and honor choirs, and, and uh, at church got to lead worship um, a lot, and we actually started a, our own worship team in 8th grade. I bought my own little electric guitar in 8th grade um, and a crate amplifier I bought at Music Go Round, got the guitar from eBay, believe it or not, and we started our own worship team. That was 8th grade. Um, we said, hey, you know how to play drums, you know how to play keyboard, you play violin, and it has four strings just like a bass, so you can play bass, right? They're a little different, the tuning's a little different, but that's, that's where we were thinking. And we started our own worship team. So ever since eighth grade, um, I've been leading worship. Um, we um, initiated ourselves and printed our own music and just kind of self-drove, and we sounded absolutely horrible. Um, I think back to that and how terrible it was. And we'd speed up in the fast, you know, the, the exciting parts of the song and slow down and it was bad. But um, God was building in and throughout high school, I got to continue leading worship. And I felt this call on God, from God to um, worship ministry. Come to, come to my senior year and our, um, our church was a little larger and so we had a senior banquet and everybody was sitting in the room and the one that was most likely to go into full-time ministry, that award went to me and I was kind of floating pretty high. My reputation was, was pretty good. Um, people thought pretty highly of me as a spiritual leader and worship leader in this direction of my life and that leads us into the first breakdown of this lie, that your performance is your identity. The lie says, you are who others think you are. You are who you others think you are. That's a lie from Satan, meant for your destruction. And many of us have bought into it. And I bought into it. Now, there's a distinction. There's a difference between reputation and character. Reputation means how others view you. And we can project, social media allows us to project. We can live a certain way around other people and we can make other people believe that this is who we are. That is our reputation, right? Well, conversely, 
Character is who you are in the core of your being. We've all heard it said, who are you when no one's watching? Who are you when the door is closed? That's your character. Who are you really? What is your heart like? Where is your heart? That is your character. See, behind the scenes of leading worship multiple times a week and being voted most likely to go into full-time ministry, I had this insatiable desire for pornography and it started in junior high. In high school, I remember late nights clicking on image to image and I felt like I didn't have any control over my hand as I was clicking from image to image. One, two, three o'clock in the morning till I was so exhausted I would go to bed, sleep a couple hours and I'd wake up in the morning, head off to church and lead a worship service. Wake up in the morning, head off to school and lead a worship service. There were times I was leading worship five, six, seven times a week. Yet I had this other life that was going on. Are you honest about yourself, who you really are? There's this image, this is what's really going on. Let me tell you, the decisions that you make in private will be brought to light and there's no avoiding it. We can choose to confess those openly or our sin can find us out. God sees us as a whole being. He doesn't see us as just this part, just what others think of us as. He sees us as a whole being and he knows the hearts. First Samuel 16 says, the Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah, you know it. The Lord looks at the heart. Or do we really know it? Who are we really? God knows who we really are. Psalms 139, the whole chapter is good, but the first four verses say this, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me travel and when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Our God is all-knowing. and He knows our whole being, who we are at the core. God knows. There's a sub-lie in this lie that I can manage my sin. I can manage it. I can, I can have control of it. I can keep it from getting too big and getting out of control. The, sin, the secret sin that we live with, if you're living with secret sin, it will come out. Your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23 says, but if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord and you, will be, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. It's like it's hunting you down for your destruction and Satan would love nothing more than to see the sin that you are entrapped in continue to eat a little more, a little more, a little more until you are completely destroyed because you are made in the image of God and Satan can't stand that. He wants to destroy the image of God. So me focused on reputation, there became, I've, I've realized some different ways um, to know when I'm focused on reputation as opposed to character. And one of the biggest ways I've found is when I have given into sin, I become very critical of others. What is it about sin that causes us to start being critical of others? We want to put others down so that we can look more righteous and we can look more holy. Are you condemning with your speech? 
Are you putting others, pe- other people down rather than giving the grace of God? Is there sin that's causing you to do that? Try to make others look bad so you can look good and righteous and holy without dealing with the real issue. I compared myself to others and kind of became a, a justification or a sedative, but it was by no means a way of dealing with the sin. Matthew 7 says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, that was me. Hypocrite, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. We have to deal with our own sin. But we have a tendency to point at others, even if it's something smaller. We need to realize that sin is rebellion against God. No matter how big or small it is, it's all rebellion against God. And his standard is perfection. And we have all failed God's perfect standard. Humanity is not graded on a curve. So there's no point in pointing at somebody else and seeing how much worse they are to make yourself look better. God's standard is perfection. And we all need God's grace. Luke 18 says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness, and they scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Comparing, comparing to somebody else. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God knows the heart and he saw the heart of this Pharisee who was self-righteously claiming to be better than somebody else. And the the tax collector said, God, I am a sinner. And he came humbly before God. I was the hypocrite in this story. I was the hypocrite. And as I continued to try to manage my sin of pornography, I tried feeding it to maybe satisfy it. Now, I've got six kids, and I know something about feeding people. When you feed something, what happens? It grows, and then it wants more. So you feed it again, and it grows, and it wants more. You feed it, and it goes over and over and over again. Don't think that you can manage your sin. If you feed it a little bit, it's going to continue to grow. It's going to take over in your life. Um, It might not be pornography in your life. It might be wealth or position or some kind of influence or or reputation that you want other people to see in you. might be a degree. I don't know what it is for you, but something tugs at each one of us. And what is that for you? So for me, in college, I began dating. And I pause here because this is the part of the story. Not that the rest was easy, but this is a part of the story that I would rather not share. And as I was preparing this, and as Christina and I and our philosophy to be open about our stories, 
I had to rehash through these things. Do I really want to share these things? Because it's not easy for me to share. And there are shameful things to share. And I have to ask myself, am I still going back to trusting the idol of reputation? Is my reputation what matters? What you think of me, is that what matters? Or is it my character before God and who I am in God? So I had to ask myself that. I said, it's my character. I don't care what you think of me. My call is from God. This message is from God. You think what you want. The other thing I ask is, if I hide the depth of my shame and sin, then will the depth of God's glory and love and restoration be realized? Will the world be able to see what God has saved me from? And that's what I want to see. Paul says, I glory in my weakness because Christ looks strong. So that's where I'm going. And don't worry, I won't be graphic. You don't have to plug your kids' ears. But I will say in college, my relationships were not pure. I had a few and they progressively became more and more physically involved. Pornography opened the door for that. It set me up for a lifestyle of compromises, of thinking just a little bit more is okay, of feeding it just a little bit, just a little bit. It's a lie. It's going to suck you in. And I couldn't manage my sin because sin is unmanageable. I thought I was being careful, but my sin tracked me down. My sin found me out with the conception of my daughter, Bailey. Now, I love Bailey. It wasn't the one running around. Um, Bailey's a joy, and her middle name is Joy. Um, So grateful for her in, in our life. But remember, my life was centered around my reputation. Had a hollow bottom, but this elevated reputation, that's what my life was centered and built upon. And there's something about having a child before marriage that does something to your reputation. If you're known as a worship leader, a spiritual leader, a spiritual influence, a Christian guy, a godly man, there's something that happens to your reputation when you have a child before marriage. John taught last week about Adam and Eve and their sin um, of buying into the lie of missing out. They wanted to be like God. They didn't want to miss out on this stuff um, that Satan lured them into. And what did they do right after their obedience? They clothed themselves in fig leaves. They covered themselves up and they hid. And that's what I did. I ran. I hid. Just like them, I wanted to hide what had happened so I could keep my reputation Last week, John mentioned several tough topics, marriage and abortion, abortion. Boy, that'd be an easy out. If, if we just end this now, then my reputation stays intact. Nobody has to know. Thankfully, that wasn't an entertained thought. And I think the spirit of God was leading and, and wanted Bailey in our lives. But I just want you to know, if you had an abortion, I understand those thoughts and how that, that thought process prog- progresses. Um, And it's a strong pull from Satan. Another lie. Another option for me to cover up was, well, let's just get married right away. Maybe maybe we can um, 
let people assume that we're just having an early baby or something. And we've seen people do, right? Um, just get married and it looks okay. Um, so we did. Christina and I got married and this was December of 2010. We got married without a foundation or a shoddy one at least. Um, and we made our covenant before God till death do us part in December of 2010. All good, right? A few people know I've salvaged a little bit of my reputation, um, what's left of it at least, and uh, able to move on and move forward. But what about my character? Who am I? Has that changed or am I still the same hypocrite? Those weren't the questions I was asking. And when you were caught in these web of, of lies and sin, that's where we go. How can I keep covering this up? So I wasn't asking those questions and I did not submit fully to God still. Fast forward to February, um, just a couple months later. Long story short, I come home from student teaching and uh, Christina is not there. And a week later, I receive papers for divorce. Now, there's no more cover up, no more hiding. Everything's in the open. My reputation is gone. Premarital sex, deception, divorce, all laid out for everybody to see. Now, I want to be clear um, to note that this is my fault and my sin and how I as the spiritual leader in the relationship led us to this point. When you see Christina, don't be saying, I can't believe you filed for divorce. I was a jerk. I was a jerk, guys. Um, and that's where sin takes us, a place where our heart is unhealthy. Matthew 7 says, uh, it talks about the man whose house is built upon the rock and the storms came and the rock stayed secure, or the, the house on the rock stayed secure. And then we see the man who built his house upon the sand. That was me. Reputation is sand. The storms came, washed out the foundation, and the final verse it says, it will collapse with a mighty crash. The house comes tumbling down. King James says, great will be its fall. And that's what happened. If you're building your life on this identity, this fake person, and not the character, the inner person that you really are, who are you when no one's watching? How does God see you? If you're building it on reputation instead, there will be a great fall. That takes me into the next lie. Lie number two. Lie number two says, you are the sum of your past mistakes. So I went from having this great reputation my idol was my reputation to now I have this horrible reputation and how other people still influences me. <sighs> people see me as horrible. I'm the sum of my past mistakes. I bought into this lie. You are the sum of your past mistakes. That's who you are. You're defined by the bad things you've done. Take a stamp. That's who you are for the rest of your life. You've made that mistake. Maybe many mistakes, maybe many failures. That's who you are. That's Satan's lie for you, for your destruction. Let me tell you, there is despair in this place. Suicide and darkness reside in this place. You're a failure. You're a mistake, a screw up, a good for nothing. You've blown it. 
That's a dark place to live. And I lived there for months. When your reputation is all you have and you were building it on something fake and that comes crashing down, you're left with nothing. And so for the next 10 months, I blamed Christina for our divorce, all in an effort to make myself look better. Reputation was still my focus. I was putting her down. So after those 10 months and around Christmas 2011, I reached a conclusion. John shared this lie last week. God wants me to be happy. So I'm going to leave Christina and open up my horizons. Yeah, that doesn't, doesn't sound very good. Doesn't sound very spiritual. So how can I spiritualize this? Let me find a scripture that I can mold and twist and manipulate to make my desires happen. We do that as a church. We do that as individuals. We twist the word of God. So this is what I twisted. I, I pulled out this scripture and I called a couple of my friends with this reasoning actually. And I said, hey, well, God's word says, and it, this is true. God's word says that if she's an unbeliever and she wants the divorce, then I am free of her. So let's just call her an unbeliever and I'm free of her. Easy for me, right? That's the easy path called two of my friends. I'm riding in the car on my way back I'm from Lincoln, back out here to, um, to teach. And uh, a third phone, well, those two phone calls resulted in them saying, oh yeah, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Um, if that's what God's told you, if that's what the word says. The third phone call was to my aunt Sandy. Um, and she and my uncle Cedric had just been rocks for me. Um, I could call them whenever they answered the, the, the phone all the time. Um, they ran military family ministries down at Fort Carson. Um, and so they saw the worst of marriage things happening, adultery, men and women and you name it. Um, and so they had a lot of experience with that. And I remember calling her and I'm riding on the way home and I'm self-justifying. Why would I even need to call them in the first place if it's a word from God, right? So I'm trying to get other people's approval for me. And I call up my third person, Aunt Sandy, and I say, you know, well, she's an unbeliever. I'm going to treat her like that so I can be free of her and, and pursue other options. <laughs> and let me quote what she said. Um, and I promise I'm quoting her. We're on the phone. I had to hold my phone away because she goes, hell no, you're not leaving her. You're not giving up on her. You are Christ in the relationship here. And you, did, did Jesus ever give up on you? And those words rang out in my head. Christ never gave up on me. I'm Christ in the relationship. <sighs> Did he ever give up on me? Why am I giving up on my wife? Um, I tell you, she proceeded to call me out, lay me flat, call me to man up, call me to character and to not take the easy road. John preached on that just a couple weeks ago. <sighs> the road to character, we learned, is not the easiest, but I came, became convinced by the, by the leading of the Spirit and the, my study of the Word of God, that my covenant that I made with Christina was a covenant that I made with God. Um, this conversation with my aunt was a pivotal point, not just in Christina's and my relationship, but the trajectory of my life. We need those people in our lives, people who are willing to speak truth. Are we listening to the truth when others speak truth to us? Do you have those people? Do you go to those people? Are you willing to accept it? On the other side, 
Are there people coming to you and you're just saying, oh yeah, yeah, I see that you wrangled scripture, but yeah, whatever you say. Or are we speaking the hard things and the truth in other people's lives? That was hard for my Aunt Sandy to say to me. I am so glad she did. And I look back and if she wouldn't have done that, where would I be? Maybe we need to be the ones that are speaking truth. What is your call? Who are you in Christ? What is your future? Um, God can save your marriage. Are you willing to fight? Get rid of sin in your life. That is wrong. I'm willing to fight with you and for you. So grateful for my Aunt Sandy. And at this point, boy, the Spirit of God just convicted me, overwhelming. And I wept um, on this ride back and I confessed my sin before God. I committed to obey him, take him at his word. God gave me new clothes, a new identity, and a freedom from sin. Romans 6 says this, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. We keep saying at the series, Satan wants nothing more than for your destruction. Hey, just buy into these lies. Ooh, it looks luring, it looks great. It leads to death. The things that end in eternal, eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Do you see the flip side? God's way leads to life. Satan's way leads to death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, God's giving it and it's free. We don't work for it to earn it. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We didn't earn it, church. And I realized I wasn't going to miss out if I obeyed God. God has my best in mind. Sin always results in death. And for me, it was death of a relationship, death of reputation, death of peace in my life, death of purity. I bought into it and it resulted in death. Holiness leads to life. And it was at this point that I turned to God's way. I wanted to do things God's way. So I realized that I needed to learn what God said about me. Who am I? What does he say about my marriage? What does he say about life in general? I want to do the things that lead to life. So I got into God's word and I studied God's word. And I committed to my marriage, which was broken. We were divorced. Went through at that point. But I realized I'd made a covenant with God till death do us part. God, what does that look like now? I've messed things up. I became convinced that the only way I would be released from that covenant with Christina would be, and I believe this is in the Bible, if she died or if she married somebody else. Okay, as long as she doesn't die or marry somebody else, I am going to just love on her and keep pursuing her heart. Now I'm going to pause there for a moment because um, in a lot of my conversations, Christina and I, because we have been... um, together open about our story, we get to talk to a lot of people about their marriages. And we've seen many of them um, restored because we're willing to say the hard things, the hard truths and walk in relationship with people. The people that don't um, follow that, and uh, they, it's amazing to see where the trajectory of their life, they continue in this path of death. But um, our culture has so many excuses for divorce. Um, And if you're divorced in here, my goal is not to condemn 
But I have to caution that the church at large takes what the culture says about something and tries to apply it to ourselves and make the word of God fit. And that's not how it works. And so I hear a lot of things like, well, um, he or she is emotionally abusing me. That's not a biblical reason for divorce. Is it a reason to separate and get to a safe place and seek help? Yes. And the church at large needs to do a better job of recognizing and providing opportunities for counseling and rescue for these people, for both parties. Not saying stay in there, I'm not, but I'm saying divorce is not the option. God may use you in a mighty way in that relationship. How about physical abuse? Not biblical. Is it a reason to separate and seek help? Yes, and the church at large needs to do a better job at providing um, support, rescue, and counseling to both parties. Are we going to take God at his word? Are we going to listen to what the culture says and try to make the word of God match up with it? Another reason I hear is that, well, I'm just not in love anymore. Not a biblical reason for divorce. Love is a choice. And God can grow your love for someone. And how does he do that? By showing us how he loved us. As I learned how much God loved me despite my failures of the past, I grew in my love for Christina. I grew in my understanding of how much I had hurt her, how I had failed her. How did God love me? Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We didn't have it all together when he died for us. And since we have been made right in, in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies, wait, our friendship with God was restored by Christ? While I was his enemy, what can he do for my marriage? If he can restore me to God, who's perfect and has a perfect standard, what can he do for my marriage? We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now note, Christina, at this point, hated my guts. And she let me know that she hated my guts. And rightfully so. I was a jerk. I was a poor leader. But if I'm to love like Jesus loved and he's going to transform my heart, I need to learn to love the unlovable. I needed to love the unlovable because that's what Jesus did. And I want to have the character of Christ because that leads to life. So I found out what Christina liked found out what her needs were and how she ticked and what ticked her off and didn't do those things. Ronnie, as I see you over here and you're such a great part of our story. I remember doing um, child exchanges at your house and there were some tense moments there and they, they loved us into this church. Um, and so when I, when I speak, I just thank you. Thank you, Ronies. Um, tense moments, but I wanted to grow in the character of God. And you guys probably saw that transformation as I went from blame to my responsibility. I want to love Christina. And at one point, I remember praying 
to God. Now, don't take this as doctrinal truth here. This is kind of a side note. I just remember as God changed my heart, I had this thought and I prayed it to God. I said, God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my failures. And God, whatever discipline you have for me, I'm ready to accept it and to walk through that um, because I want to grow and learn. But God, whatever discipline you have for Christina, would you put that on me? because of where I led this relationship. Now that's not a thought that came from me. That came from the heart of God as he transformed my heart. Because what did Jesus do? Jesus said, can you take the punishment for their sin and put it on me? That's the heart of Christ. And I remember praying that, God, take the punishment for Christina and put it on me because I'm the one responsible. I wanna take it. Um. You think that changed my interactions of how I related to Christina? Absolutely. If I had that kind of heart toward her, I want to see her be restored to God. I, I'm the one who failed. Would you forgive me? These were the thoughts and things that were going through my mind and heart. I remember a difficult time in all of this was when Christina started dating someone and I knew there was impurity as they lived together. And like John shared last week, there's an allowance for divorce um, when there is adultery. And so then I met with a, a decision. Well, here's an easy way out. And I had to decide, am I going to take the easy way out? Or am I going to manifest, am I going to live out the character of God? Let me tell you what the character of God is in 2 Timothy 2. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. That's the character of God. That's the character of God, being unfaithful, God. Um, easy way out. You've given me an out, but you're faithful, God. I want to be faithful because you are faithful. And so even though there was an out, I wanted to fight for my marriage. Are you fighting for your marriage? Or are you just taking the easy way out? My, in, my decisions were becoming influenced by the character of God. And I became so fulfilled in my relationship with God that my cup overflowed. I had so much joy serving Christina. A lot of times we serve people because of what we can get out of them, right? I was getting nothing back and I didn't have any expectation. If you are serving because it is a command from God and because of a thankfulness for what God's done for you, you don't have expectations for each other. That is the key to your joy in your marriage. If you're sucking off of each other, you're going to dry each other out. If you're getting your fill from God, you're going to overflow to your spouse. And if you're both overflowing into each other, you're going to overflow to your kids. You're going to overflow to your community and the church. Get your fill from God. I'd go shovel Christina's walk if it was snowy. Had a blast. Gave her a coffee. She loved the coffee every Friday. Not the little note I wrote on it, but she drank it anyway. I scraped her windshield um, if it was icy. I gave extra diapers and wipes above and beyond the child support I had to give. I wasn't led by my feeling. If I was following my feelings, I'd have been long gone. I was led by the character of God changing my heart and my life. I returned good for evil. I didn't retaliate when offended. I didn't have any expectations of her. And I walked in obedience to God. As I did, he made my path straight. And I watched as God gave the blessing of a life of obedience toward him. But you're divorced. 
boy, I was so full in Christ. I didn't need Christina back. Did I want that to happen? Absolutely. You guys walked out with me, Ronies. I wanted that, but I didn't need her. I had everything I needed in God. Only one job was open in January when I graduated, so I began teaching just down the road at Mitchell halfway through the school year. And uh, I watched as miracles just started happening. Um, I couldn't hardly believe. I watched them, and I couldn't take credit for them. They just unfolded right in front of my eyes, and I could see the, the hand of God orchestrating everything. Long story short, Christina wanted to get as far from me as possible. So when she, when she applied to student teach, she applied everywhere but around here. And even though it wasn't on her list, she got placed in Gary. I didn't plan that. God's working on miracles. And I'm living at a guy's house, um, renting out the basement in, or uh, second level there in Scott's Bluff. And Christina, the only house she can find to live in is three blocks away from where I'm currently living. I didn't orchestrate this, guys. This is, this is God at work. I completely entrusted her to God. Three blocks, I still can't believe that. She graduated with her teaching degree and she'd started applying for jobs in Timbuktu. But she saw a job opening in Mitchell, so she applied. And guess what the only school was that called her back for an interview? <laughs> And Mitchell, I, guys, you can't make this up. Follow God and experience the blessing and the miracles as he just makes your path straight. Um, she figured, oh, if I'm going to be teaching with him, I better, you know, start allowing him in a little bit and have, have some kind of cordial relationship with him. And I remember uh, that summer after she had gotten hired on, I asked, hey, you want to go canoeing uh, with Bailey and I? I had the canoe strapped on the top of my Jeep with the doors off and the top off. And um, she said no a hundred times before, a thousand times before. And this time she said, sure. And that was the first little step. And we just enjoyed each other. We played, we built trust. Um, we went on walks together, went to Jack's, we pushed the strollers. Um, then she went to a family funeral, went to a family wedding and then a reunion. Things became civil and a relationship was blossoming as we were just friends together. And the key was that I shut up and I listened to her. Works, guys. Um, as Christina spent time with me and I'm not living for my own desires and my own will, my own character, and I'm wanting to just share the character of Christ. Who is she spending time with? She's spending time with Christ. We have the opportunity with everybody we work with and encounter to be Christ to that person. And so Christina was experiencing Christ and grace through me, someone who formerly was giving judgment and critical and, and leading her in a wrong direction, was now giving Christ. That's the way to life. She grew in her walk with God, and she was encountering Jesus but there was a holdup when some of her friends said, I see you're hanging out with Ken. If you keep hanging out with him, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna answer your calls and I'm not gonna hang out with you anymore. We're not gonna be friends anymore. This is a number of her key foundational relationships. It's like they gained together to get her to stop getting together with me. I'm like, God, what are you doing? You know what? I'm gonna trust you. 
And as Christina grew in her walk with God, she overcame that. And she said, you know what? I want to please God rather than man. Cool thing is she's still friends with those people. They let her go for a while, but as they saw that God was working in our lives, our marriage is better than some of their marriages and they're calling for help. Wonder what God does. So she put her relationships on the line, even lost some. And she said, I want to be restored because that's what God wants for me. And praise God, he restored. And we were remarried in August of 2011, a year and a half after our divorce. And we were remarried over at Monument Bible Church, um, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in a wonderful place of healing there at Monument Bible. Praise God. He gets the credit. Turn things over to him. Watch him orchestrate things in your life. Don't buy into the lie. Don't buy into the lie. You're the sum of your past mistakes. Nope. Don't buy into the lie that you who are who other people think you are. There's another lie though, number three. What about this call of ministry on my life? You're kind of seeing the end of the story. This is part of the story, what happened today. But what about this call of ministry on my life? Well, it's hopeless. Who can get hired into ministry? Like, I know this is God's call in my life. And as I'm growing in my relationship with him, I was like, oh, I just failed it, God. Like, I guess I'll be a teacher the rest of my life. Like, I'm having fun with the kids and it's a great time. And, um, but man, God had this plan for my life and I just blew it. So um, that's done. I'll just continue teaching. Um, I, I wrote a song um, around this time and it's called You Restore. And uh, there's a phrase in there and I just cry out to God and I sing, Oh, Father, have I gone too far? to feel the embracing of your arms. And that came from the depth of my soul. God, if I screwed up too much, um, almost sang it for you, but I saw how long we were going yesterday. I'm like, okay, we'll scratch that part. Um, and so uh, that song came back to me and then God gave me the chorus at, at that time. But you, you restore, you take what has been broken and make it whole. Um, and it goes on along that theme. And I started to believe what God said about me rather than what Satan was saying about me. Have I gone too far? Well, in human terms, yes. But God can restore. He picks us up out of the pit. We sang graves into gardens. Are you singing that from a heart that believes it? We sang, my fear doesn't stand a chance. I'm no longer a slave to the lies not afraid to leave my past behind, behind. I won't be shaken. I'm standing on the rock. That's Jesus. Now I know this is, this is relevant because I had two conversations over the past couple of days before preaching this um, of a couple of people that said, yeah, I, I really disqualify myself or I really um, don't, I'm not, I've gotten myself to a place where I've, I was in, I used to be this but I need to work hard to get back to this place was what one person said. And another person said, if I made a list of all the things that I need to work on right now, um, it's gonna, it'd be over a page long. 
And the common word I heard in those and I called out was, I hear you saying work. And that's not what God asks of us. That's workship salvation. We are saved by faith. And Paul addresses this here in Galatians. He says, let me ask you this question. You received the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit right, by obeying the law of Moses? In the Old Testament, they had to work for their salvation um, through the law. So did you have to work for it? Of course not. You received the Holy Spirit because by faith, you believed the message you heard about Christ. By faith alone. How foolish can you be? He's calling them fools. This is strong language. You fools. After starting a new life in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? He's saying, if you've received Christ by faith alone and came to a place of realizing that you're without hope and no way to pay for your own sins, trusting his sacrifice and his work, this is what saves us, right? Why do you think you can maintain your position and your standing before God with your own works? That's impossible. We have to continue living every day by the power of the gospel in our lives. He's washed every sin away. Christina messaged me this divine timing as I was planning the message. Isaiah 43 says, I, God says this, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and I will never think of them again. Continue every day accepting the grace of God, depending on him. Your salvation happened at a point in time, but we need to continue living by the power of the gospel in our lives. God defines who I am, and that is the truth that dispels all of these lies we've talked to. And we sang it in the last song. I am who you say I am. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. Don't believe other people's voices about you. Don't believe your own mind about, well, I've messed up too much. Don't believe that your reputation, maybe as lofty as it is, is what it's all built on. I am who God says I am, who I am in Christ. Now, each one of you should have gotten one of these. And if you didn't, there, there are more on the way out. I'm not going to read all of them. It's pretty long. It's both sides. Man, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, these things are immediately true of you. Don't believe the lie of Satan because I am faithful. I am God's child. This is what God has to say about us. I have been justified. I am Christ's friend. I belong to God. Let's jump down. I have redemption. I am forgiven. I have purpose. I have hope. I'm included. I am sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I am a saint. I can approach God with confidence. There's a purpose. So much. I have God's power. I'm not alone. So many things in here. These are true of you because your identity is not based on your performance. Your identity is given to you by God. When God looks at you and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he sees perfect and blameless. That is the gospel. Live out your identity. I'm going to live bold because that's who I am. Don't say, I'm a weak person who's trying to be more bold. 
Because that's not who you are. You are bold in Christ. You have a purpose. Live out that purpose. You are a saint. Live out that. Claim your identity in Christ. See how Christ sees you. All of these things. That's how he sees you. And it's not by anything that you and I can do. How can I share this now? I said that earlier in the message. Isn't it embarrassing? Are you afraid of what others will say? My past is not who I am. My past is not who I am. I am pure. I am holy. I am gifted in Christ. And I get to live out my calling. You each have a call. Live in it. Be empowered by it. As we head into a time of communion, um, as we remember what God has done, he gave his body and he shed his blood. As we remember this, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are on a path that Satan has you on that leads to destruction. God's path is to holiness and righteousness. No, you're not going to miss out. There's blessing and there's fulfillment like you can never imagine. Christ will be your fill. He will give you your purpose. This is what he created you for. So if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, would you pray this with me? And if you have placed your faith in Christ, would you praise this with me? God, I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the son of God and he died for my sins. I believe that he gave his body and his blood to wash my sins away, to pay a penalty I couldn't pay. I believe that Jesus rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. I believe God by faith that you've given me your Holy Spirit now to live out a purpose that you preordained for me. You've given me a gift to build up this church. God, help me to live for you. Would you open your word to me when I study it so that I can grow in the likeness of Christ and be fulfilled by you only. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. That gospel is for all of us, not just people who place their faith in Jesus Christ right now. And if you placed your faith in Christ, would you talk to me or Pastor Ben, Pastor John? And if you see anybody with the red vests on, they're our prayer team. You're welcome to talk to them as well. If you need prayer for anything, come see us as well. If there's something that's got you by the ankle and you just can't break free from it, believe me, I've been there. If I had a brother or sister to walk with me, man, what a difference that would have made earlier in my life. Come talk to us. We practice open communion here. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you're welcome to come to either of the stations here or in, in the back. The bread reminds us that it was God's body, Jesus' body that was broken. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, we proclaim your death until you come, claiming the washing um, by your blood as our righteousness, not our own performance. Would you dispel this lie that our performance is our identity, but claim our identity in you and be empowered by this identity in you. Who we are, God, is defined by you, inspired by your spirit, empowered by your spirit. Would you do a transformative work in this church here today, God? I pray this in your name. Amen.